This is How to Read. I'm Milan. And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking to Stephen Greenblatt, a specialist in Renaissance literature and the history of ideas. The basic story of Adam and Eve is that Eve was tempted by a serpent, ate the forbidden fruit, and thus caused humans to be kicked out of paradise. But does she really deserve the blame? Stephen Greenblatt says this question isn't a new one. Eve has had her defenders from the very start, from early Jewish commentaries to John Milton's epic poem Paradise Lost. Stephen shows how Eve's story has always been open to reinterpretation. Her story has inspired not only blame, but also understanding, and even praise. Stephen Greenblatt, welcome. Thank you. So you have been studying the long history of Adam and Eve. So before we get into that, um, I'm wondering, could you just tell me like, what's actually in the Bible about Adam and Eve? Well, the story of Adam and Eve is told in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Hebrew Bible. And it is a story that begins with the creation of the first man. So God brings him into the garden, which he specially designed for him, and tells him that he can eat of any tree in the garden, except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which he is not permitted to eat, lest he die. It's important for the purposes of the long tradition that arose from this story that this warning is given to the men. This is before the creation of the woman. So Adam is is created. He's taken into the garden. He's told he can't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. And then how does Eve come onto the scene? Uh, And then God says, it's not good for the human to be alone. God puts the man to sleep, makes an opening, takes a rib out, and fashions that rib into a woman who is then uh, given to the man. And then chapter 3 introduces a third character, namely a serpent. The serpent says, indeed, did God say that you couldn't eat of the, any of the trees? And the woman says, no, we, we can eat of any of the trees, but this one we can't eat or touch uh, lest we die. And the serpent says that it's not true, that eating of that tree would make them to be as gods. And the woman looks at the tree, sees that it is beautiful to look at, and she takes the fruit and eats it, gives it to the man, and then everything unravels from there. Uh, do you want me to go on? Uh, um, maybe just to give, give an idea of yes. what hap- you know, why is that so bad? God issues the punishments Mm. that are the consequences of that transgression. For the woman, she is told that because of what she's done, she will bear children in pain and agony, and also that she will be dominated by the man and will desire the one who dominates, who will desire him. And then to the man, uh, he says that by the sweat now of their brow, they will have to labor for existence and that it will only be through labor that humans uh, will survive. So, I mean, already in that initial situation, there seems to be, well, differing punishments for the man and for the woman, although some of them affect both of them. Um, 
does that reflect a sense that they are to blame in different ways or to different extents? Well, the punishments that are visited upon the man, namely labor for existence and then a return to the earth, are also punishments for the woman. Right. It's only the woman who has punishments that are specific to her, as well as the punishments that, right. that the man has. And that's something that people have thought about obsessively for many, many centuries. Many, many, many people, including some of the subtlest and most complex thinkers and artists over millennia, have brooded on this tiny story. So from very early on, was there a sense of um, a real wide spectrum of responses to Eve and, and these questions of her guilt and her punishment? There's a very wide-ranging set of responses on the part of the ancient rabbis. The, the story that I've told you probably dates from 3000 BCE, and we only have access late, very, very late, to any commentary on the story. So the earliest surviving trace, I believe, of a response to the story comes in a set of little books that were buried uh, 2,000 years ago in Egypt. And they proposed that the villain of the story is God, and that the oh, hero of the story okay. is Eve. How but of course, those were buried. Uh, they were buried 2,000 years ago for a reason. That is to say, that was an interpretive account that lost. Yeah. Uh, but it's a possibility. Yeah. So what you should understand, what listeners should understand, is that virtually all possibilities are there from the beginning. It's not that late last night, under the influence of late 20th century feminism, Women People decided to that, be more... well, maybe, maybe Eve has something to be said for her. No, 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 this is clearly... Yeah. Uh, 2,000 years ago, this is uh, a possibility. Well, I, let's continue that in a moment, but would you like some tea? Yeah, I'd love some. Great. I have the mother of all colds, so... Oh, okay, well, yeah. hopefully we'll do you some good. Yeah, the mother of all colds is probably also <laughs> from this misogynist tradition. Oh, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> so deeply embedded in our yeah. culture and language. That's great. Great. So we talked a bit about the Jewish commentators. Oh, so I, um, let me say, I didn't talk about them. I interrupted myself. So let me say briefly about the Jewish commentators, the rabbinical commentators. You get a tremendous, a tremendously wide range of interpretations, including speculations about the issues that you're particularly interested in, about the possible assignment of blame. But on the whole, the Hebrew tradition, the rabbinical tradition, does not assign the blame in a coherent principle way to the woman, or to the man for that matter. People are all over the place. Some people speculate, why is this conversation going on between the serpent and the woman? Where is the man? So there's a body of rabbinical speculation. Well, maybe they had had sex, uh, and the man was having a kind of post-coital nap. <laughs> no uh, nap. <laughs> uh, when, when, the, the, uh, when the conversation took place, that's one wow. uh, argument. Or by, another, by serious scholars. Oh, yeah, from several wow. thousand years ago. Okay. Uh, and another one was that maybe the man decided to take a walk to look around through the garden and then left the woman. But they w wonder, why is the woman having the conversation alone? And then, of course, they wonder how it is that women should bear this the burden when the man was the one who would receive the warning from God. So how did the woman yeah. get the word of the warning? She has it, but she seems to get slightly wrong. She says we can't touch the tree, but God had never said anything about touching it. Just uh, about eating. About eating. 
the rabbinical tradition that does not focus uh, a kind of coherent burden of blame on the woman. And that's actually also true of the earliest Christian commentaries. There are lots of different views of things, but you begin to see among Christian interpreters in basically the 4th and 5th century a stronger element of blaming the woman. So can we jump forward now like a thousand years? Um, Because I really want to ask you about Milton. Um, So Milton's poem Paradise Lost depicts this whole story from the creation of Adam and Eve um, through Eve being tempted by the serpent and then giving the fruit to Adam and their fall. Um, But maybe just what was what were ideas about eve and eve the blaming of eve by the time we get to milton like what was the environment in which he was existing what was the thinking yes. about eve by then uh judging from what we know about his life milton was the heir to a strong misogynistic tradition but what's fascinating about what milton did is that when he actually tried to enter the story what he found surging up in the story was a more and more powerful voice for the woman. So could we look at just a very specific moment um, within that poem um, and, and see how those questions of sort of Eve's culpability and Eve's own thinking about those questions of sort of uh, superiority, inferiority, domination, mm-hmm. um, how Milton is presenting those within the poem. I think the first thing I want to say is that Milton represents Eve as making a a very thoughtful decision about whether to eat the fruit in the first place. Okay, so unlike in the Bible where it's just kind of instant. There's no explanation in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Eve has a rich and full, complex conversation before she eats. And then even after she eats, Milton also depicts her as thinking about what it is that she should now do. Because she believes that she has eaten something that's going to make her not only equal, finally, to Adam, but actually possibly superior to Adam. She's been told all along that she's inferior. That's part of the, again, this is not in the Bible, but it's part of the long tradition that Milton inherited. And now she's thinking, what should she do? So here in the passage uh, from Book 9, she asks herself how she should now appear to her husband. Shall I to him make known as yet my change, and give him to partake full happiness with me? Or rather not, but keep the odds of knowledge in my power without co-partner. So to add what wants in female sex, the more to draw his love, and render me more equal. And perhaps, a thing not undesirable, sometimes superior. For inferior, who is free? This is what she's thinking through. What should I do? And she's trying to calculate what she should do in relation to her relationship, which she understands to have been the relationship of an inferior to a superior. And, and now so in she this thinks brief it's mo- changed. Yeah, in this brief moment, when she's eaten the fruit, so she has knowledge of good and evil, she knows that Adam doesn't. So at least for this moment of kind of reflection, she's the superior one. Yes. And she's wondering... Should I keep it this way? She believes in any case she's a superior one. That's whether she is or not is another question. Okay. But she thinks that's what's happened. 
and now she's trying to decide whether she should be superior or whether she should try to make them equal. Well, she says more equal, or possibly she? even what? more equal. Now, Milton commentators often say that's a sign of the fact that she's not thinking straight, as it were. You, I mean, okay. that it's a, it's a because it seems sort of a contradiction. You can't be more equal. I mean, that it's a, you're either equal she's or you're a, not. She's being. It's part of the sign of her being intoxicated, and a it's a drunk person who says, <laughs> "I'm more equal than you," <laughs> yeah. as it were. Yeah. But I'm not sure that's actually what we need to say. I think that it could be render me uh, more his equal. In other words, I'm on the side of those who don't think that what we're being asked here is to laugh at Eve or in a mocking way, but to recognize that there's a problem that she's understood all along and that Adam has also understood in Milton's account. Uh, the first couple is haunted by a contradiction that's built into their situation, which is that on the one hand, the love depends upon their sense of this is flesh of my flesh, this is bone of my bone. We're the same. And at the same time, they're told insistently by God, by the angel, Raphael, that no, 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 the natural order of things is for the man to be on top. Eve is as aware of this as Adam. And I mean, is there a way in which Milton giving Eve this complicated psychology, this awareness of this big moral problem and kind of having this ethical deliberation at the moment where she's, um, you know, in the midst of, of committing this bad action, does that also in some way mitigate her blame? You know, like, I guess in the way that, like, to, to, what's that saying? To to to, under, to know all is to forgive all or something? Like, that if we understand her psychology better we also forgive her a little bit more? Yes, I think I think that's true. And I think that would be a conservative reading even of that, uh, um, maybe, maybe appropriately conservative reading of those lines. That is to say, it's just a mitigation of the situation. But you could go further if you wanted to. And you could say, it's not just a mitigation. It's clear that, that Eve has thought through the human issue in a way that God in the poem hasn't thought through the human issue. That the decision that God who's superior to everyone can't sort of fully think through what it's like to be a human being in a relationship. He's already shown that he can't in an earlier conversation with Adam. He seems obtuse about what it is like to be a human being. But they're not obtuse, they are human beings. Yeah. And Eve particularly is alert to what's going on. So in a funny way, this is like an echo of that lost you know, ancient commentary that was casting Eve as the hero and and the god as the sort of tyrant that doesn't understand, right? Like there's yes. a, a hint of that in Milton, even if it. he's not. There's a hint going of it. I, I think far. so. Yeah. One last question: If you were going to rework the Adam and Eve story, how would you do it? I mean, I don't have a clever version of the the story. I mean, I, I go back to thinking that the story was unbelievably brilliant. Brilliant because in the tiny compass, it's so much is there. So how should I say, I resist a little bit your invitation <laughs> because I think it, it suggests that that old story is dead and that we have a sophisticated current story. I actually don't think so. I think the story has had the trajectory, the history that it's had because it's unbelievably good. It's a bone that's been stuck in her throat for uh, roughly 3,000 years. 
and we haven't swallowed it down and we haven't <laughs> spat it up yet. Yeah. Well, even if you avoided the question, that's, I think, a very um, affirming note to end on. So, Stephen Greenblatt, thank you very much. A pleasure. That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to a bonus clip of Stephen explaining how St. Augustine and all male Christian communities diverted sympathy away from Eve. To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at HowToReadNow. This episode was recorded by Jess Engerbretson and was produced by me, Milan Talunen, and by me, Olivia Branscombe. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening.